Everyone has a dream that fills their heart. A journey they must take. A destiny to fulfill. As close as your imagination exists a magical place where wondrous creatures with incredible powers help make dreams come true. It's the world of Pokémon. Welcome to Now Playing's Pokémon Retrospective Series. Prepare for more trouble than you've ever seen. And make it double, we're on the big screen. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. Nuts of the game. Hosted by Arnie. So you're addicted to caffeine. I could stop whenever I want. These are just choices. Another round, extra shot. Black is night, thank you, sweetie. Justin. Get me the hell out of here. And Stuart. To them, this is just one more challenge. They follow their hearts. That is what sets them apart and will make them Pokemon masters. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. This is what a Frenchman would call caliente fiesta. Listener discretion is advised. We're going to do this, you and me. Today we're discussing Pokemon the movie. 2000 aka the power of one aka revelation luigia aka mirage pokemon luigia's explosive birth that's my favorite one yeah i like that one actually <laughs> explosive birth <laughs> starring veronica taylor akui otani rachel lillis directed by kuniko yuyama this is arnius your mythical podcast mon host Pika 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 Stu, wondering what I won't do for Pikachu. <laughs> and this is Justin, still trying to figure out who thought it was okay, no matter what culture, to market something called pocket monsters at children. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I didn't even realize that's what Pokemon stood for before this retrospective. I was like, oh, that's what that means, pocket monster. Why do they put the hyphen over the E, though? Oh, well, they're Japanese. I'll just chalk it all up to that. But welcome to an era of the world where everything was better if it ended in 2000. Windows, 2000. Office, 2000. Movies, 2000. The Chronic 2000. <laughs> Indeed. And this is really where it kicks in. We're seeing the multimedia empire like, all right, we're going to have a game out one year. We're going to have a new season of the TV series. And we're going to have a movie repeat 19 more times until we catch up to present day. This thing is a factory. It's amazing how consistently they put out product for their audience that's hungry for it, that never tires of it. Yeah. While it may be a factory, though. Pokemon Gold and Silver for the Game Boy Color, which were coming out around this time, mm -hmm. Game Freak intended that to be the end of the Pokemon franchise. It was like, we've done all we can do, Gold and Silver, and then Crystal for the special edition for the color, we're done. Wait, how many units did it sell? Yes. Okay, we'll keep doing it. Yeah, Nintendo didn't <laughs> slap some sense into them. <laughs> and, you know, we've kind of already talked about the Game Boy games, and you've done a good job explaining it to me. I think with each consecutive Pokemon show, we're going to look at a different style of game. I think this time we really need to look at the phenomenon that came eight months after the first video games, the trading cards. Oh, boy. I'll never forget 
Christmas 1999. It was the year I started to realize that my nieces and nephews, one half of them were really good, but the other half were really brats. And you guys remember Mortal Kombat, how I had to go beat a certain nephew at oh, Mortal yeah. Kombat? I do recall. Well, it's Christmas Eve, and that's when we'd have the family Christmas, because all my sisters had their own kids at that point, and so they'd then retreat to their own homes for Santa to come that night and have their own Christmas morning. So Christmas Eve... And I just wasn't feeling Christmassy that year. We stopped buying gifts for each other when we're doing this, you know, that secret Santa, like, put a gift in and you could steal it three times. I bought a $100 Best Buy gift card, and yet it was the best thing in there. So I walked out with my $100 Best Buy gift card. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? <laughs> I'm going to just buy myself a gift. Well, you know, somebody stole it, and then I stole it from them. And I'm like, I'm keeping my gift card. I don't want no photo albums of us. <laughs> But it gets to my nephews, and this year they were way into the Pokemon card game. And this is when it was all over the news. There was a card selling for $100,000. There is one card, like 13 were printed, and nobody knows how many are left, and it's a $100,000 card. And so everybody was going crazy for the Pokemon cards. And for Christmas Eve, that's what my sister got her children, one of whom was the one I had to play in Mortal Kombat. And... The one you had to beat this ass. Yes, I had to teach him a lesson in Mortal Kombat. Apparently, that lesson he learned was not how to share. He was eight, and he had a little brother who was six. And that little brother opened up the Pokemon cards, and I don't know which one it was, but he had, like, some super rare card. And the eight-year-old bawled. Just couldn't stop crying because his younger brother had a better card than he did. And so my sister, in an act of supreme parenting, took it away from the six-year-old, allowing the six-year-old to ball, and gave it to the eight-year-old. <laughs> and so the eight-year-old was now happy, and the six-year-old was crying all the way home. <laughs> that is all I knew about the Pokemon card game until recently. Yes, we became aces, card sharps. We were awesome. I've never done this before, and I don't recommend it. But we decided to learn the game in about 40 minutes and then enter ourselves into a tournament of lifelong players. It just so happened Marjorie stumbled upon a gaming store here in town and texted me from it. Hey, there's a Pokemon tournament next Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. You guys could come and learn the Pokemon cards and it's $60 to enter. And I'm like, 60 bucks, no way. But let me just, I'll, as a goof, tell Stuart about it. Stuart, we could go spend $60 and enter a Pokemon tournament. The, what I really thought we'd be talking about this show is on Amazon, I bought something called the Pokemon Trainer, which said everything you need to learn to play Pokemon. I'm like, we'll just learn to play it, and then we'll talk about the card game. Mm -mm. Suddenly, Stuart's like calling my bluff. All right, we'll go. And then it turned out it was not on Super Bowl Sunday. It was Saturday, which makes a lot more sense. Only $25. So now we've decided to go within three hours of registration for the tournament. I'm in the shower getting ready while YouTube videos play outside the shower on an iPad as I'm trying to cram rules into my head <laughs> of like powers and level ups and evolutions and hit points. Yeah, it would be like, hey, my baby just learned to walk. I'm entering it into a marathon. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, I just want to color this idea here. Never to this point. 
moment. Still not played any of the games, had seen one episode of the show, so had vague understanding, never played a card game other than like a Hoyle deck, like Magic a Gathering, didn't know anything about any of it. 30 minutes of trying to understand the rules and then driving to the store to enter a tournament. You guys, this is like the biggest loser version of Rounders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I learned a lot. I mean, I, obviously I didn't do well, but I did learn a lot about, I think, how the game might work. It seems like they're pretty similar. Is that fair to say the cards and the way you throw down are similar to the way you would if you held a Game Boy? It's really interesting how they did adapt it. Now, my understanding, I've never played Magic the Gathering, but I found a lot of similarities between this and a Marvel card game I've been playing lately from Upper Deck called Versus. And it appears, from what I can tell, that it all comes back to Magic the Gathering, and they're all just various ripoffs of that rule system. But with Pokemon, what got me was how they had the same things as in the game. Like you could carry six Pokemon at a time and the rest you couldn't. And you did an attack and the attack may work, the attack may fail and you can up your defense and everything. But the card game adds a level of randomness because you have to shuffle your deck and you don't know what you're getting. It also, in the Game Boy game, it's interesting because you can only attack so many times. Like you get 25 times that you can do a tackle and then you got to get back to a pokey center and recharge so you can tackle 25 more times okay the way they've done this in the card game is by having energy cards you get an energy card and you give it to your pokemon and then you spend the energy card to do the power and i found that all really interesting and we get there to this gaming shop where it's literally every stereotypical gaming i mean you just there was the bald guy with the ponytail. Mm -hmm. There was the dumpy girl with the curly hair. Mm -hmm. There was the guy who still had 80s metal hair. You know, in Dazed and Confused, Matthew McConaughey said, I keep getting older, they keep staying the same age. Well, here, we all got older, but what I'll say is the names changed, but the people stayed the same. These are the exact same people I saw at a gaming store when I used to hang out in the 90s. It's just, I didn't know any of them, but there was still ponytail guy. There was still token girl there was still one african-american there was still one child it was just and they were all there eating pizza and burgers and ready for pokemon when we walk in and they're so happy to have us that we couldn't bring ourselves to say we were on a sociological expedition they're like we do this every thursday i'm going to invite you to like our facebook group but <laughs> that's good to hear that could have gone one of two ways. You guys could have been the assholes who were crashing their little private event, or they could have embraced you, and it sounds like they did. They were very polite. I don't know that they wanted me to come back next Thursday, Arnie. I mean, I had, it was pretty obvious within seconds, I couldn't open the packs. Like, we, they were like, all right, so here's the set. We're going to give you 30 minutes to stack your decks. I'm sitting there pulling at the my Mylar. I'm like, I, I'm going to either have to rip it open with my teeth or like disappear into the bathroom. Like, I can't even open the decks because it's not that you bring your own. We couldn't have played if it was bring out your treasure trove of pokey cards you've collected for 30 years. That's what the entry cost really was for. Everyone's getting six packs, sight unseen, good luck opening them. And then, yes, you have to organize them into a stack of 40 that will be your arsenal as you face off time and again for, what, five rounds, four rounds? 
It was four rounds. It was endless defeat for me. I can tell you that. I mean, I I did feel kind of like your father as I had to reach over and be like, Stuart, I'll open your cards for you. (laughs) I felt very, very, yes, humiliated. Did you cut his pizza into bite-sized pieces as well? Yes, I really needed that. People were like, are you guys brothers? Like, they were questions about what was going on there and why as someone that didn't look like they were having a lot of fun might be subjecting themselves to such abject humiliation. Okay, I just figured they thought you were my boyfriend and I brought you. So that they thought we were brothers? Okay, I'll go with that. Yeah, well, that was what they said to me. But yeah, I got a lot of a scant look. But they were very polite. I mean, I, I want to emphasize, at no time did they make me feel lesser. I just continued to live down to the worst expectations of a new player. Again, I only vaguely knew the rules. And one of the one things I learned about playing this card game, as Arnie mentioned, it's all about power. The first time I went up against a player, I had a deck of 40 with three power cards <laughs> in it. What that means, basically, is it's like the ending of the last movie. I I put my Pikachu out there and the other Pikachu slaps me on the face and I stand there and say, please, sir, can I have another until I am dead? See, what happened was Stuart was very into his cards. I was hanging on every word of everyone around me because I know I'm going inside unseen and I've been in a couple Gen Con game tournaments. I know how bad this can go. And so I'm listening and they're like, here are cards of energy. Come up and get as many as you want. And I actually get a pretty tough card and I show it to this guy there who tried to sell me like illicit cards. He's like, if you need any Pokemon cards, you talk to me. I got every card you want. You don't want to buy them from this store. Meanwhile, behind the counter, the owner's like, I ban people from this store for selling things in here because I don't get any money. I can barely make the rent. And this guy out here is like, I got all the cards you want. I'm going to save you a lot of money. You just talk to me. I got whatever you need. <laughs> they so- didn't approach me, Arnie. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> so this guy's looking at Stewart's deck and being like, okay, okay, yeah. okay. Finally, this guy is just like, let me show you what to do. And <laughs> these are maybe the characters you might want to fixate on. I didn't understand I could go and get power to make them fight. So I could literally do nothing but watch this 10-year-old child beat me to a pulp (laughs) round after round with no ability to do anything. And I, meanwhile, put 50% power in my deck. I'm sitting across from somebody and I'm like, this is my first time playing. This guy's a hardcore player and he's like... Can you roll your dice further, please? That wasn't random enough. We're in a small, cramped area. There's like three games going on per table. I don't want to shoot it like it's craps, you know? (laughs) So I'm trying to just be polite. And he's like, can you roll it further? And then the guy who tried to sell us cards on the DL gave us card protectors. And he's like, give them back to me at the end. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to like put the cards in a protector that spend the time taking them all back out. So I just buy some cheap protectors so that I don't offend anybody. I'm starting the game. I didn't have time to put them all in. So this guy across from me thinks I'm cheating. He's like, why are some of your cards and protectors and some not? I'm like, cause I'm out of time. He's like, well, you shouldn't do that. I'm like, I'm not cheating. I <laughs> by exact, playing too badly to be cheaters. My exact words were, I don't care about Pokemon enough to screw my karma by cheating at it. <laughs> <laughs> Record scratch. <laughs> no, so, yeah, I'm surprised you were not asked to leave. <laughs> I beat him. I won my first game ever. That's I beat right. this guy. I Yeah, and I was glad. He was a little bit of a know-it-all. He was polite, too. But, yeah, there was a little bit about, yeah, you're not rolling it correctly. That He came at me later with lots of advice, uh, unsolicited. 
And then round two, I was playing against the guy who offered to sell cards on the DL. I got my bass handed to me. Yeah, the second round was interesting. They were kind enough to say, okay, go and get some energy because you can't <laughs> spend all day just being brutalized. <laughs> they let you cheat. This was an official Pokemon oh, tournament. Yeah, I know. I mean, this had the Pokemon software determining the matches and everything. Mm -hmm. This was a regulation tournament for ranking yes. in the National Pokemon League, and they felt so bad for Stuart, they let him cheat. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I had revealed who I was. The next thing I learned was not all of these characters fight. Like, I was like, okay, now I got power. I get the blackface Pokemon. Remember I mentioned that last time with the controversies? I'm like, oh, he's cool. And he can, with a little bit of power, he can do his thing. He can't hurt them. <laughs> his power is to like make them dance. So I literally, the next guy, like all I could do was keep making them dizzy. I couldn't like get hit points on any of them. So like now I'm a black face. They turn him into purple face, but I'm a black face dancing around after having one round of completely falling on the mat. Now they're just getting dizzy. Now, I go up against, like, the 10-year-old you're playing, who, this kid had a remarkable resemblance to Arnold Drummond. Yeah. And I get there, and I think this kid cheats, because I get there, he's got all his cards laid out. Now, I know from the stickler from round one, I'm supposed to be able to cut his deck, I'm supposed to see him shuffle his deck, he's there, everything's laid out, I'm like, I don't think I feel good about this, and so I actually, like, ref... He didn't shuffle in front of me. And so I forced him to shuffle and I cut the cards. I'm the only person who beat him that whole day, but I'm the only person who was a big enough dick to say, I need to see you shuffle. I think the reason he beat everybody else, that kid cheats. Yeah, and you know, it's a 10-year-old, so he's got that going for him. Nobody wants to, like, get too bit out of shape that he might be, you know counting cards or whatever the hell you're doing to, to cheat at Pokemon. I finally did get a round where I did do damage. By the third round, I was getting a groove. I was at least holding my own, but it didn't really change. One Another thing, these decks sometimes have these super cards that have this shiny holographic quality. It means they have 200 hit points. So yeah, you can go in there and do 30 points of damage. They're still going to kill you long before they're ever going to die. And so it was my ass handed to me every round. I came in dead last from the competition. No one asked me back. But no one was rude either. I hey, you won one game because there was an odd number of people. The computer decides who sits out and just gets an automatic win. And Stuart was, after two rounds, the computer's like, well, it's obviously this guy who sits out. Yeah, I won the round where I played against no one. <laughs> I ended up two and two, which I think is pretty respectable for having never played before and invited back many, many times. And I felt bad. Here's what I'll say. The card game was actually fun. I enjoyed playing it based upon the rules, but the fact that it was a Jigglypuff and a Pokemon and a Clefairy and all that is irrelevant. It was this card hurts you. I enjoy hurting you in a game. So we're going to play and I have fun strategizing. The reason I'm not playing anymore is I have enough money sucking hobbies that I don't need to choose to get addicted to a blind packaged game where I have to spend hundreds of dollars on cards and hope I have good enough ones to win. Well, let's talk about that because this is a nice way to segue into my pokey controversy for this episode. All the problems that stem from this card game. Largely, it was a class action lawsuit that parents eventually got very tired of seeing their kids shoplift and literally get into physical altercations and lie and cheat to get these rare cards. Is it gambling? 
That is what they came at Nintendo and said. Their lawyer insisted Pokemon cards have all the elements of a gambling game, which of course minors cannot participate in gambling in any state in this country. There's a price for you to enter and play. There's an element of risk and there's a potential payoff because you can get these rare cards. You can turn around and sell for 50, 100, thousands of dollars. I will say after having played this game, it does not feel like a casino. It does not feel like you're rolling a roulette wheel and seeing what happens. There's strategy. You're playing a game. It does involve skill and you can play with the cards that you're handed with. But if you were not going to play the way we did, which is everyone opened six new packs, but bring the ones you had, the only way to truly win at that is to have invested. Again, packs are what, five, eight dollars each? You're going to have to spend what these kids were doing, two thousand, three thousand dollars in order to be competitive. Is that gambling? I don't know, but it is morally questionable. The courts threw it out saying that it's not gambling because you can't lose anything. What's happening is you're purchasing cards. You are paying for cards. There's no chance you're going to open the deck and you're not getting cards. The chance is you might get a card better than others, but that's not gambling. That's like saying that in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the magic ticket inside the candy bars was gambling because you'd buy a candy bar and hope there's a magic ticket inside. No, you're paying for the candy bar. Here, you're paying for the cards. The court said absolutely not. They were suing under RICO statutes, which is specifically mafia organization. And the courts are like, no, no, you're idiots. Go home. Stop wasting our time. But you know what? There is an addictive quality to anything. And yes, it is truly, if I could just go on Thursdays and play Pokemon and not spend more than $25 a session, I might do that as something to do. But... I'm not going to because it's not $25 a session. It becomes hundreds and thousands and I can just play other games that are cheaper. The ultimately the problem is I would enjoy playing this game if it didn't require me to make it an investment, but that is what it is. And if I were a child trying to play it, it would be very frustrating. Apparently I did get a good card. There was one guy, no one asked me to come back and play, but someone did want this rare card that I did get in all of my stacks of, of useless non-fighting dancing (laughs) Pokemon and no power cards. I apparently did have one cool rare card that he was willing to offer 30 bucks for. So it must've been something good, but that's too much. That's too much for a kid's game, for sure. And too rich for my blood for anything. I just don't have that kind of money to throw. I don't do poker nights because I don't like losing hundreds of dollars in an evening. That's just not fun. What's funny to me is with me, they're like, that guy trying to sell me cards is like, you know, we'll have to trade, wink, wink. Uh-huh. With you, they're just, they know you're not coming back. Here's 30 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty obvious. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm glad they didn't come down on the fact that they thought that was gambling because, you know, it's no different than baseball cards. If we're going to teach kids that collecting is okay, but once it gets to a certain point, then that's bad because it's gambling, then I think it just comes down to, is that lazy parenting? You don't want to keep an eye on what your kids are doing? Keep in mind, this was the 90s. I feel like everybody getting a rare card was the Pokemon version of participation trophies. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know much about the cards. I just remember Tyler in his room had a few select ones with holographic stickers in the corner that he had propped up in a Pokeball display and I couldn't even tell you what was on him, but I'm guessing they they had at least some sentimental value to him. Well, if he had one of the illustrator cards, I mentioned there was a real rare card last time. The illustrator card is the rarest of all cards. 39 were distributed. 
what's funny is it doesn't even help you in the game. It is zero value for playing, and yet it sells on eBay for a hundred thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Yikes! If he has that one, I'm going to call him. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to college. <laughs> The only other controversy I could find specifically about the card game was that some of them were printed with swastikas. And that was just a cultural misstep because in Asia, in India specifically, that is a sign of good luck. That symbol has lived on longer than the Third Reich and it had different connotations. Although the Japanese participated with the Third Reich. I mean, I don't think they wouldn't know what a swastika (laughs) was in modern understanding, but there were Pokemon with swastika symbols and they did have to go back and reprint those decks. So I mentioned those are probably worth something too because well we just are uncomfortable with kids playing with nazis they can play with hydra (laughs) moving on i mentioned that there is a new season of the tv show as well moving into gear and that's where this movie is going to be based season two adventures in the orange islands kind of tweaked the formula a little bit. They changed the rap at the beginning. The animation got a little bit better. Ash got some new friends. There's this guy named Tracy Sketchit, who's, imagine this, a sketch artist, and he kind of replaces Brock for many of the adventures, and they're riding around in aquatic settings. They replaced Brock because Brock had slanted eyes and they were scared people were going to be offended and call it a racist depiction of Japanese people. And then people complained because they missed Brock. And so they ended up bringing Brock back and realizing nobody cared about the eyes. Oh, I didn't know that was the real reason Brock disappeared. They gave some reason that he had to go somewhere else, but maybe he was collecting swastikas. Who knows? (laughs) At any rate, they also have this nemesis, Gary Oak, who is the son of Professor Oak. Professor Oak is the mentor throughout all of the Pokemon series, and he becomes a much bigger deal as they build up to a new contest. It's the Orange League instead of the Indigo League. And in this one, Ash does get to win some like he is much more of a hero but by and large it's the same show same idea instead of walking on a road they're sailing around in a boat that was basically the change that happened and so tracy's going to be in this movie that we're here to talk about and professor oak's son by the way is from the very first game when you get your pokeball from professor oak professor oak's grandson is there and saying like smell you later gramps and he just pops up throughout the game and is like i'm better than you and then i keep winning and then he goes ah that's no fair i'm gonna go train more but he's just this antagonistic little jerk mm-hmm. kind of like my nephew who cries when he yeah, does i was a thinking exactly of your nephew that's what <laughs> that's who he's he's the kid you most want to hurt when you play pokemon <laughs> But he's not going to be in this movie. I mean, again, they designed the TV series so that usually the movie comes out mid-series. And there's no narrative tie into you got to go to the theater to get the ending from the show or anything. It's, It's almost like a standalone episode. And again, in America, it's coming out long after it does in Japan, a full year. In Japan, it was 1999, and that was probably when it was known as Luigi's Explosive Birth. But here in America, as Arnie pointed out, year 2000, that was a selling point. Y2K and all of that represents was something to build upon. This was P2K. Mm. I actually think I remember that from like some advertising slogans. (laughs) Was the TV series in closer step to what was going on in Japan over in America? Or was it equally off you know i'm saying like if the movie was a year late was the series a year behind over here as well yes okay 
It's not like they were current with the TV series here and then getting a movie from last season. Yeah, nobody's going to be shocked that, like, Brock is gone by going to the movies and then going home and turning on the TV. They would have known by that point, but yes, they are about six to eight months behind what Japanese kids are seeing. All right. But before we get into this movie, there's another god-awful short that we must discuss. <laughs> this one is at least interesting because I feel like it tried to do what we talked about. Why don't you make something without narration, without dialogue, something that's going to be musical? It kind of feels a little like Fantasia. If, you know, you think the Chuck E. Cheese house band is like the Disney animatronics. I mean, that's the comparative. I'm like, it's a chintzy version of that Disney let's explore music through animation classic. I missed vitamin C. Rescue, you gotta rescue me. It's not awful, but it's no, I need a vacation. But... By and large, the only thing this had above the Pokemon Vacation one is it's half the length. <laughs> is it? It feels eternal. <laughs> and it is just a parade of dancing Pokemon. I mean, the plot, if we must discuss that, is like the humans go to sleep. What's interesting about these shorts is that they completely throw away the human characters and it's Pokemon's playing with each other. That doesn't ever happen in the series. But this little egg Pokemon, very irritating, falls down a hole and it's a chance to go to a land where, I don't know, everyone's dancing around. For some reason, they just want to dance around. This really throws me for a loop because like you mentioned last time, Stuart, you said if you were seven, eight years old, you could see getting into this. And so I, coming into this new and trying to get my footing, trying to figure out what age I'm supposed to be to enjoy this. And after last week's movie, I'm like, oh, okay, so it's pretty clear they're aiming for 12, 13, 14-year-old Justin. And then the next thing I see is this, which feels like it's pre-K nap time Justin that they're trying to grab. So I'm still not sure who Pokemon is aimed at, and this is not helping the cause. Mm-hmm other thing to point out and it was kind of a segment i wanted to bring up last week but it feels more appropriate here I, you know there's so much merchandise we can't mention all the things they make but i do want to try every pokemon show to highlight something unusual something that you wouldn't think a normal franchise would get to do you'll notice this little short ends with all these airplanes right the credits go and we see ANA Airlines. Yeah. It's because ANA Airlines created a Pokemon themed flight. You could literally get into a Pikachu plane where all the seat covers and all the food and all the stewardesses are dressed as characters and you can just go anywhere in Japan in this commercial airline or to America. It actually flew to LAX and back. Strange to me because the people you would think that would be appealing to could not afford a plane ticket. Could a parent justify buying a plane ticket with Japanese prices at that, just so that their kid could have a toy. Wow. Arnie, would you do that? That sounds like something Arnie would do if he was into it. Yeah, if it were Star Wars, could you just fly to the cheapest airport just to get the souvenir? Once upon a time, yes. Okay. However, I learned with the Star Wars Burger King tie-ins that it's actually cheaper to go to eBay and just buy the tie-ins than it is to buy the Burger King food. And in the cases of this, it's usually cheaper. For example, there was a Rogue One helmet that you could only get if you bought a Nissan Rogue. Right. You could actually <laughs> buy the helmet much cheaper than you could buy a car. And so you could just go to eBay and that would be my what I would do. Mm. But you don't get the experience of riding on a Pokemon-themed plane. Yes, I agree. It's not just about what you're... Wa you get a goodie bag. But again, I think what they were selling in the advertisements, even in this little short, 
short, the idea is that you could fly to Canto and live this. I mean, immersive. It feels a step beyond what I would expect children's entertainment to do. And certainly for that price, it would require, I would think, a very rich and guilt-ridden parent to buy a plane ticket for their child to go to Pokeland. I guess it depends where you're going. I mean, there are Marvel cruises, and how much different is it than international people going to Disneyland because their kids want to go see Disney? I mean, it's all relative, yeah. I was going to say a cash grab, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, To some people, it's worth it. There's Marvel Cruises? Yeah, there's Marvel Cruises. Wow, we'll have to discuss that. I mean, we just had Captain Marvel. All right, interesting. Anyway, let's get to this movie. Arnie, give him the plot. Let's get through Pokemon 2000. A Pokemon collector, not just a trainer, but a hoarder named Lawrence, has set his sights on some of the rarest Pokemon on the planet. Per an ancient prophecy about lightning, fire, and ice, Lawrence uses his CGI flying ship to capture the Firebird Pokemon Moltres, the Lightning Bird Zapdos, and the Ice Bird Articuno, all of whom live in the Orange Islands. And doing so upsets the natural order of the planet and threatens a global flood that will kill all life on Earth. Didn't we just have that in the last... anyway. You know, Japan, <laughs> water, is always a threat, the tidal waves. <laughs> Tsunami, yeah. Mm. But as if by fate, Ash Ketchum, the 10-year-old Pokemon trainer, along with his friends Tracy and Misty, and his trusty Pokemon Pikachu, are taken to the islands during a storm caused unintentionally by Lawrence capturing Moltres. And there they meet Melody, an island native who's the maiden of the island ceremony that annually pays tribute to the three birds, I think legends it's some vague theme legends okay (laughs) as part of a flirtation melody picks ash as the festival's chosen one to go to the islands and retrieve glass balls that will be taken to a shrine ash is so excited to be the chosen one he goes immediately but he and his friends encounter zapdos who's come to fire island now that moltres is gone pikachu tries to talk to zapdos when lawrence arrives to capture the lightning bird also captured are Ash and his friends, who discover Lawrence's plan, and as Lawrence tries to capture Articuno, Ash releases Zapdos and Moltres, thinking it will help. Instead, the three powerful birds go to war, fighting each other, which brings up Lawrence's true target, Lugia. Not Luigi, Lugia. Not Robert Logia. <laughs> Lugia. <laughs> Although it should have been voiced by Robert Logia. How awesome would that bird be? <laughs> All right, what I gotta do? You want me to flap my wings? Damn it. (laughs) But Luigia, Pokemon Beast of the Sea. Luigia is prophesized to appear when the three powerful birds fight, but Luigia cannot stop them. He says the only way to stop their fighting and the destruction of the planet is for the Chosen One to get the three treasures to the shrine. And Ash just isn't the Chosen One for the ceremony, but in fact, the Chosen One of Prophecy. He gathers the three totems of fire, electricity, and ice, aided by evil Team Rocket members Jesse, James, and Meowlith, who have decided they want to be good guys to help save the planet. Lawrence uses this chaos to try to capture Lugia, but Lugia destroys Lawrence's ship and returns to his underwater haven. Ash gets the totems to the shrine, which is guarded by a talking Slowking. Then Melody has to play the ceremonial tune, which gets the power bird's attention, and they stop fighting, and the birds return to their islands, and Lugia writes the sea currents that have been threatening Earth as credits roll. Wow. So much prophecy and ancient 
scripts and well the last one opened with Mewtwo and really just pulled me in with its human drama this one feels like Pokemon directed by M. Night Shyamalan (laughs) (laughs) dense complicated too complicated by far I agree that part of the problem with connecting to this one is that we have a villain I've never seen before or since Lawrence the third I presume the third is to signify that he's rich and therefore greedy like Winston Howell yeah I like that they're making this villain the interesting nuance you pointed out in your plot summary was that he's not a trainer everyone that we see that loves and collects pokemon in the show are breeders or trainers or people that have a vested interest in seeing those animals get better at whatever it is they're going to do this guy just likes to amass a collection and that's quite a thing to put on i mean to criticize collectors that's pot kettle you're black i mean that's hypocritical There's nuance in that, Stuart, though, because even amongst collectors, there's a code. Don't buy more than what you need. Help other collectors out. Don't just have a basement full of Tupperware containers hoarding the most expensive rare stuff just so you can be the coolest guy. How expensive are Tupperware, by the way? My mom might be be (laughs) sitting on a gold mine. (laughs) To me, this was the message that kind of drew me into this story was like, oh, okay, we're teaching kids, you got to catch them all. We're teaching kids, you know, some things are rare, some things are more expensive than others, but don't be an a-hole about it. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like where they're starting off with this. Okay, yeah, I didn't see that watching the movie because there are so many moving parts, but if that were something that they drilled down in and emphasized, if I knew much about Lawrence and he was really a character and we got to see that lesson being taught, I think that would have been helpful. That would have been relevant, as relevant as the whole genetic stuff they were talking about last movie. Yeah, my go-to was he's one fur coat away from Benicio Del Toro in Guardians of the Galaxy. He just wants to have this menagerie of rare Pokemon for the sake of having a collection. And this is where I do see better animation. I complained last week that the animation was not as good. Here, I didn't notice CGI doors and things last time, but this guy's ship is clearly 3D rendered, looks like nothing else in the movie, and it's kind of cool looking. You saw this a lot in the 90s where they were trying to bring in that new look and side by side, and it isn't seamless by any means, but at least, yeah, I appreciate that they're trying to give us a bigger theatrical experience. And they've updated their color palette, too. That last movie seemed kind of toned down. But this one, they're getting more vibrant with the moving parts. Their backgrounds are seem to be a little bit more detailed in the hand paintings and stuff like that. So there is a step up in at least the production value here. Yeah, and there's three very colorful birds. What he's going to fixate on are Moltres, Zapdos, and Articuno. Spanish counting. I noticed that as well. Three, two, one. It made me think, well, Pokemon 2000, that was kind of a thing, right? Like there was this whole Aztec, like end of the world prophecy. Yeah. I I wonder if they were trying to, I mean, they called it Pokemon 2000 because it was the year 2000, but there was a lot of anxiety about apocalypse. And I do think that with Aztec and I don't know, maybe I'm overreading counting down from in Spanish, but what we do know for sure is that as these birds are taken out of their elements and their islands, it is upsetting the balance and causing the world to yet again threaten to be flooded. And so, yes, in hoarding, this collector threatens us all. I was surprised how quickly he catches Moltres here at the beginning because 
I mean, he's talking to some Pokemon just who is there simply so he can espouse his evil plan to us, the audience. And he's like, well, I will get this and I will get this and I will get this. And I think that will be the whole plan of the movie is like he's going to one, he's going to the other, and the climax will be around him getting the third, right? He's the villain. No, like, boop, I have the first one. Let's go after number two now. That's all in the prologue. I was like, oh, okay. That didn't take much time at all. It doesn't seem like it's hard to get these birds. Yeah. Again, a big problem I'm going to have with this movie is that Lawrence is just not developed. I want to feel like he's capturing them because he's got an edge. You know, they're legendary. Nobody else has been able to do this. We have all of these Pokemon hunters roving the islands, and this is the only guy that can do it. I want to know more about him, and it's just very perfunctory the way that they're going to go down. And we're very quickly cutting to the boat with our heroes, our season two heroes. I want to point out that this is, yeah, catch them, Misty, but with the new guy, Tracy, and with some girl with green hair I've never seen before or since, Marin. Now, here I had a problem with the animation. Did you guys notice that, like, when you have a far shot where the people's heads are really small, their eyes are really vertical and it almost looked like some weird kabuki mask like their eyes were going halfway down their cheeks and just like this blackness i thought it was almost like a vhs type warping or something but i was watching this in hd so i'm like that's just bad rendering i think the flash software didn't do so well i mean you are aware anime big eyes that's a thing Right. And when it's up close, it looks normal. When it's far away, it looks like their pupils are melting down their face. I did not notice this, but I, I'll take your word for it. It wasn't a problem for me. Basically, we're meeting the whole gang. They're opening their balls and every <laughs> Pokemon that they've met and captured in season two so far is swimming along with them when they get hit by a sea storm being caused because Moltres has been captured and they wash ashore at Shamudi Island. I do like one joke here. They're opening up and releasing all of the Pokemon, and Ash releases a Snorax, which is this giant panda-looking thing that's always asleep, and he lands on the boat, and he's so heavy, the boat starts to tip, and Ash has to put him back in. It's all in the background, but it was just this little visual gag that I enjoyed seeing. Plus, Howard the Psyduck is back, so I'm happy. I caught that too. It was just a cute little montage at the beginning to show, you know, things are good for the crew of that we've been following for half a season now. And, you know, it's time to let the Pokemon out to play. And yeah, the, the Snorax just pops in and out real quick. So I enjoyed that. But my question is, is at this point, not knowing, are we meeting new Pokemon now? Is this designed for us to be excited about these birds? Are they the new characters? Well, uh, some of the people that he's pulling up, the Lapras, the sea monster that he rides a lot on in the season two is, is there. There are new Pokemon to be excited about just as the game has introduced a hundred new ones. There is, I don't think a hundred, but there are new characters here along with classics like Pikachu, but the birds are the big deal. Yes, those are the ones to be really excited about. They have haven't been seen before in the cartoon. Okay, so at least they're showcasing new characters in the story to a degree. Yes. And they get to this island where it's very important to the culture to tell basically the plot that Ash needs to follow. That if there is going to be balance restored, it's going to be for him to go to each bird island, capture a crystal ball, and put it in a, I don't know, a kind of like a quarter-eating arcade machine. I don't know. That magically does something. All right, I got a lot of questions here that this movie never answers and it frustrates me, but maybe you guys can help. First of all, we're introduced to this new girl, Melody. 
And she's too cool to be wearing one of the island outfits, even though she's the maiden of the festival this year, but she's not going to wear one of the masks and things. But she sees Ash and she's immediately asking Misty, are you his girlfriend? No? Okay. And she's like kissing him on the cheek and things. There's a attraction. I think, okay, this is a movie. What is setting it apart from the series? What is going to make this worthwhile? I think what's going to happen is even though they're just 10, it's going to end with Ash and Misty revealing their feelings for each other. Never happens. There's a lot of, is that your girlfriend? Is that your boyfriend talk going on? Like so much so that like it is getting back into that kindergarten first grade humor that gets to the point of annoyingness. Yeah, it is a scandal, right? And you know, like you have a crush on someone at 10 years old, maybe something you don't want everyone to know. Playing with that embarrassment feels right. And yeah, exploring something about Misty, who is just this constant third wheel that never has much to offer other than her repulsion to bug Pokemon. I can't think of anything that the series has told me about her. Why not explore a love triangle where this new character threatens to move in on her man? It would have been nice to do something with her. They set it up very well. You know, it's not breaking new ground here in storytelling terms. It's a stereotypical story, but the stereotype always ends with a resolution. And here, it's just like, okay, I'm no longer going to try to come between you and Misty, even though you two aren't an item. That was very frustrating that you have all of this set up with no payoff. Yeah. The second question I have is, okay, it seems like this is an annual ceremony they have because Melody says she's seen her older sister do this routine so many years, but now she's getting to do it. And so every year, somebody has to go to these three islands, get these glass balls and put them in the shrine. Is somebody then taking them back and hiding them again for next year? <laughs> yeah, that's a crap job. I don't know who gets that stick, but yeah, short straw. Guys, you haven't been parents, and Easter rolls around every year, and somebody's got to hide those eggs. Yeah, but it's like, Ash has trouble getting the fire orb out. He could choose, like, here's the fire orb, and Ash is, like, pulling and pulling. I think he's going to break the glass. It's like he is at the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark, where you see the gold idol, and Indy is taking the gold idol, and nobody has seen the gold idol since the days of the Incas. Only here, this happened again last year, so it's not really that big a deal. I don't think it is a big deal. I mean, I think what makes it a big deal this year is that Lawrence is actually upsetting the balance. This would otherwise just be a play, a staging of ancient times and when some hero did have to do this for real. But I think when they go and get the balls before, it doesn't do anything. This year, they actually need them. Because as the birds disappear, the seas get more treacherous. But to continue with my Indiana Jones analogy, this would be like using the Sankara stones from Temple of Doom as a paperweight. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's an Easter egg hunt for the Sankara <laughs> stones that actually can allow me to rip people's hearts out and have severe mystical power. If somebody had dropped one of these glass balls, the world would be doomed and they were just treating it like a goof. Yeah, they should have had a play in which someone, yes, has construction paper, crystal balls, and they... They can just show everyone eating dinner. It's like dinner theater. They could just do it right there and enjoy it and have a meal. And now we're done with our festival. The fact that he actually has to go to these islands is convenient because we want big excitement and we get more. I know it's again, better than the TV series kind of action with these tidal waves and boats flipping and team rocket coming up. They're always liking to dress up. That's a big part of how we laugh at Meowth and Jesse and James, here they're riding in a giant carp 
submarine and end up washing ashore on Fire Island. Only that's not a carp, that's some kind of Pokemon, right? Because from what I understand, there's no real animals in the Pokemon world. So there's no carp like we would have in the fish. That's like some carpety or something that would evolve into a carpostralis or something. Yes, I didn't dive that deep, but I'll go with what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> and it takes Fire Island for James to finally come out. I thought this was a big step. You wanted big stuff for the <laughs> movies. Like it's mentioned that when you get involved with the opposite sex, it's trouble. And he says, quote, that's the kind of trouble I stay out of. So there you go. There's a reveal. Yeah, Meow Life gets a funny thing of like, yeah, these two have each other, so they don't need the opposite sex. Yeah, he took it to a weird place. I'm like, <laughs> okay, let's let's stay. I'm, I'm like, my dirty mind needs to just get down. We're talking about birds here. Zapdos <laughs> is about to be grabbed. Let's fixate on the plot. But there's another weird line that Misty says, because Ash is like, let's go to the island. And Misty says, if you want someone to do whatever you want, whenever you want, you should get yourself a girlfriend. I'm like, that's not what girlfriends do. Maybe you should get yourself an escort. But as far as I know, girlfriends just don't go on your every women fancy. Yeah, I know. This is not uh, with current mindsets. We'll just leave it there. <laughs> or written by a 14-year-old who's never had a girlfriend. So there you go. once again, I'm wondering who this is aimed at. Meanwhile, they cut back to characters that you haven't seen in the movies yet, but are fairly common in the TV show. I'm wondering how this translated for you guys when we cut back to Pallet Town. We meet Professor Oak, who again is almost in every episode of the show, and we meet Delia, who is Ash's mom. Her very permissive, like, should be arrested for letting her child wander the countryside mom. Well... It is different in Pokemon World. It is specifically said in the game that at the age of 10, children are emancipated if they become Pokemon trainers. So it's kind of like Stephen King's The Long Walk. You know, the kids can go out there and be shot and do whatever, but as long as they're in training. But for me, I, I looked at Justin for this because I'd watched the first episode by this point. I knew both these characters from both the game and the show. Justin, how were you flowing? You know, I think they did a pretty good job of making it clear that this was Ash's mother. So it wasn't that confusing of a scene. I wasn't exactly sure geographically where we were and how far away they were from home at this point. But I think it was pretty clear that this was home. These are people that know Ash and are worried about his well-being. And are being impacted by the same storms and weather conundrums that they are. I love Mr. Mime in this, by the way. Mr. Mime, the rain's coming and Mr. Mime runs away and I'm like, oh yeah, that seems like a Mr. Mime thing to do. I'm afraid of the rain. No, he comes back out with an umbrella for the mom. Not for Oak, but the mom. Yeah, I had a Mr. Mime card in the Pokemon card game. Not, you wouldn't love him if you had him. <laughs> Stuart is not ready to reveal his favorite Pokemon yet, but I'm going to tell you right now, Mr. Mime is my least favorite. <laughs> he freaks me out. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, he's he's very happy to be a slave. It, there feels something very uh, unsettling with his willingness to prostrate himself for this woman in her garden. I had a problem because he's a mime, and yet he says, mime, mime. Wait, you're a mime. You're supposed to just pantomime, right? <laughs> it just looks like a Danny DeVito experiment gone awry. I mean, it's just... The anatomy's all wrong, and uh, it's, it's creepy. <laughs> and they get on a plane because the news is wanting to let everyone know this phenomenon's happening. They will be presenting a lot of the backstory on what the disappearance of the birds means and what we can expect, and this giant river current that is flowing out of the Orange Islands and causing everywhere to go radically from rainstorms to snowstorms to what have you. 
Yeah, freeze the ocean over. I mean, that's pretty radical for weather. And another CGI graphic here, we see like specific currents of water flowing in a certain way that is causing this problem. But then we cut to a slow king who's talking at the same thing. He's like, I could really use pants. Mm, slow king, yeah. <laughs> it, it, they tease him for a long time. There's just this pink hippopotamus that just standing outside a relic with a shit-eating grin on his face. <laughs> I don't know what's up, but he'll stand through, like the weatherman, sleet, snow, whatever is going on. He is standing guard of the place where you bring the magic ball. So this is essentially the finish line for his quest. If he goes to Fire Island, Lightning Island, Ice Island, and successfully retrieves the glass balls, they can actually be used to help with this real weather problem. And the second bird is being grabbed by this point. It's around this time that I finally realize what this movie is. And it's something I liked, which was a surprise because this is not a movie I've really enjoyed so far. But this is a Godzilla movie. And Godzilla movies waste a hell of a lot of time in the first hour where people from space come and grab other monsters you don't care about and haul them away for unknown reasons, all building up an anticipation so that when you finally get your big guy, it's exciting. And the main character of this new movie is not a monster, but in fact, Godzilla. A monster that is meant to put other monsters under its control. The great guardian, Lugia. I thought he'd be a bad guy because Mewtwo was kind of a bad guy. But no, he is, you know, someone to get Rodan under control. This story is so convoluted. And the way it's told and the way we see Oak talking to the mother and we see Lawrence saying what he wants is to find this rare beast of the sea. I'm having trouble following it. I did end up watching this movie one and a half times. I watched it the first time and after 38 minutes, I could bear no more. I walked away. This is about the time Stuart's texting me. Can we reschedule recording? Yes, so I can turn this thing off because I'm lost. I'm trying <laughs> to cram it in before recording. So I then return to it with a cleaner mindset. And even with a clean mindset, I'm like, I understand kind of what's happening. This guy's stealing birds. That's bad for the earth. Right. But I'm not following all this prophecy chat they're doing. I want to, we haven't done the series and we may never because it's so enormous. We covered the only Godzilla that's not like this pattern. But if you go back to those original Japanese movies, it takes an hour for you to see Godzilla. And meanwhile, you see these like two inch little girls that come out of a coconut and and you know monster island there's always these other monsters and people conspiring they are building up the idea that there's these three badass birds that we don't like and that we need somebody to corral them and put them under control and at 48 minutes that character finally pops out of the water i don't know why it takes this much disruption but he's coming out to do Godzilla-like things with the other big birds. It's not as thrilling for me because when you're watching train sets be stomped on by men in rubber suits, that just has a vicarious thrill that's a lot more... It, it taps into my destruction needs a lot more than this crude animation could. It's not satisfying to watch these bird fights. What's also weird is the way the story is unfolding... Ash is going to get the glass balls 
before he realizes it's actually important. And he ends up with two of the glass balls before he realizes that it's earth saving. And the only real quest is to go get that third one. It's just, you know what? I'm not opposed to breaking convention. This does not need to satisfy me to follow the rote beats of this happens at the 30 minute mark. This happens at the 60 minute mark. This happens at the climax. But it's just really making it hard to follow as somebody not deep into the pokey mythology. Maybe if I'd been watching every episode, I'd just be like, oh yes, Beast of the Sea. I know him because I bought the latest game. No, you wouldn't know these guys. This oh. is all new. Okay. So it's not, it's not predicating on you being a super fan. I think that it's supposed to be cool to watch Electric Bird fly in and have a zap fest with Pikachu. I think it's just, in a Godzilla movie, you introduce all the subsequent monsters in anticipation of the big guy finally showing up and the human characters always do struggle to stay in the plot you know ash i feel for him because there's nothing really for him to do other than yeah they're giving him this go collect the crystal ball things that seems to matter less than having a beat down with big bird and i do think that's maybe the disconnect here is you want ash to be more involved with the fights we care about he's not pitting his pokemon against these legendary pokemon it's all for lugia to do and I think that is probably the most disheartening thing to learn about this movie is because you're right. It is confusing despite all of the exposition they're giving us with newscasts and talking to Slow King, who's giving us bits of information and the Islanders who have parts of the information. I was kind of hoping like Arnie that these characters were things that kids who follow the series and play the card game understood like, oh, as soon as Lugia shows up, this is going to happen. But it's, as it turns out, it's just a pointless quest that is set up to take 45 minutes for no reason other than, hey, this looks kind of neat on screen. Yeah, I mean, if it were a Godzilla movie, it would be fun to just watch these things senselessly bat into one another. I mean, that's just man in suit going at man in suit is always fun. But crude animation battles in the water... Not the same thing. I mean, yes, the city in the sky crashes. There is some destruction, but I just don't think it's thrilling in the same way because it's in a different medium. I just don't think you can make an animated Godzilla movie. I wouldn't want to watch that. There was an animated Godzilla TV show. Didn't watch it. Godzuki, I remember it. I liked him. <laughs> yeah, in here, I agree. It's just not very compelling to watch this story unfold. I just don't feel invested in any character the way I felt in Mewtwo. And again, trying to view this dispassionately, not what do I enjoy, but is this functioning? The animation, while they have some nice CGI stuff, let's keep in mind, we're one year before Final Fantasy The Spirits Within, so they're not breaking any ground on CGI, and this isn't living up to anything like we've seen already at this time, like Bugs Life from Pixar or Monsters, Inc. I think this came out the same year as Finding Nemo. So we've got crude animation and storytelling that's confusing and characters that aren't properly introduced. So, so far, from a purely analytical standpoint, this movie is failing. Well, how do you feel about Team Rocket trying to save it with some comic relief? Because they decide to rewrite the always comedic villains, but always villainous characters to do a lot of heroics here. And that will be a surprise for fans of the show that they decide they want to be heroes just for one day. I don't know if the Bowie reference is meant to be true or not, but that's what they say. They're going to go and bust the birds out and try to get Pikachu and Ash across the 
battleground. I mean, we see them taking an active role in trying to help the plot, while meanwhile, every other Pokemon on the planet is also making the pilgrimage there because... I don't know. We just need a cheering section. There's nothing for them to do. They have no plan, but they sense the end of the world is near and they want to be there to do what they can to stop it. Even as the newbie, I got the sense that Team Rocket being good was a big deal. I think what they dialed up here was the extra strained rhymes and all that stuff was just coming off way, way too corny for me. I mean, it was cringeworthy almost every time they did their little back and forth rhyme scheme. Yeah, and this one, they went a little bit meta, which prepare for more trouble you've ever seen and make it double. We're on the big screen. And Ash says something very prophetic. I'll wait for video. Yeah, I mean, they've been known to do that. There were even episodes of the TV series where they were cast in a Pokemon movie, and they're aware that they're in a different medium and have called it out, and I think that can be sometimes fun. It's very Deadpool of them. I mean, (laughs) it's as close to Deadpool as you're going to get in this. How about that? They have a Weight Watchers joke that got me to smile, but for the most part, they are humor dialed for the youngest members of the audience, and I don't think you're, as an adult, going to be rolling on the ground, holding your belly. I had to wonder, speaking of holding your belly, if that Weight Watchers was a product placement? (laughs) I don't think so. I just literally think that they were like, well, you wonder what the original was. Yes. That's that's always the interesting thing is that we know that there probably isn't Weight Watchers in Japan. So what was the original jokes? What were they actually saying? And why did it become that? I would like to actually have seen a bonus feature with the translators. I had that exact thought in the first movie when they made a Minnesota Vikings joke. I'm like, I wonder what that was originally. (laughs) Yes, I don't believe the original writers and creators in Japan would have had that savvy for American audiences in their head. Anyway, lots of bird fighting. Not doing a whole lot for me, but I'm trying to enjoy it. I don't like birds, so seeing them get beaten is kind of (laughs) semi-satisfying. They don't ever have a hand up. It seems like this eternal Sisyphean battle. I I feel like they battle for a good half an hour. Mm -hmm. There should be somebody starting to win. Yeah, that is the weird thing as we get to this is they're going to do the same thing they did with Mewtwo where kind of like the fight just stops. Like in this case, it takes Melody blowing on a seashell and Ash putting the crystal balls in the slots. But like in a Godzilla movie, I want to see one of them lying on the ground, not getting up. At the very least, I want to see Lawrence getting defeated for having caused this imbalance. He walks away from this scot-free. He mentions the fact that he was a card collector first. His last scene is we see him grab a Mew card and walk off unpunished. Like, that's just wrong. He loses his ship, though. The Logia crashes his ship. Okay, did he lose his collection? I mean, I guess one Mew card is hurtful for a collector. That would hurt. Yeah, he's he has to start over. It's not enough. I wanted the moral to be underlined. I wanted uh, for young audiences to understand that he was the bad guy and he had been wronged and a victory. I wanted a victory, not a musical sequence, which is what we get. Are you suggesting he needed to die for this? Yeah, I'm like, this is a kid's cartoon. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's not. Again, I would argue it is for all audiences and kids. Cartoons have death in it. I think that, yeah, something. All I'm saying is when I watched a Godzilla movie as a child, I love seeing Rodan lying on the ground and that's what I want here. If three birds are going against one, I want somebody not to survive at the end. But it's all about balance and harmony and zen and 
Wow. Talking hippo for some reason. They never use the talking hippo to its potential. He's like my favorite character in this whole movie, too. <laughs> yes. I don't know what he's the king of, but I, I'll bow to him. <laughs> yeah, the closest thing we get to uh, a shocking death here is when Lugia is shot from the sky while Ash and Pikachu are riding him. And we're supposed to believe that he's drowning? I mean, he's a water creature, right? Like, they play this all dramatically, like, oh no, Lugia's what? gonna wake up in a few minutes I, I didn't understand that what about the false sacrifice of team rocket who are hanging on to lugia like we're waiting him down we must be good people and let go and fall into the water and do a sacrifice again that was the weight watchers joke so it was worth it for that but what i'm saying is this one feels more battle heavy it has less science fiction concepts that are made for adults you will have less to explain to a wee one. You won't have to explain procreation and where you come from and uncomfortable subject matter. So why can't we make the battles more fun? I guess they're still trying to send the message, Pokemon is not about fighting, which is talking out of both sides of your mouth. The TV series is all about fighting and having fun with the fights and, you know, coming back stronger after getting beat down like Rocky. And this is all about don't fight and take rocks to a certain place. And I just am very unsatisfied with Ash being the prophesized chosen one. Like he's Anakin Skywalker here. Will this play out in future TV episodes? I don't know that we'll ever know. I mean, maybe our listeners could tell me if this ever plays out and his chosen one status becomes a ongoing thing. But here it's just, again, so perfunctory. Ash, you really are the chosen one and you must go do this. And he does. And then what is he bringing balance to the pokemon i, I want to know all i know is we're definitely on fire island because disco queen donna summer is coming in with that end theme song the power of one which i just gotta say the best thing about this movie is this song do you know that this song inspired a presidential campaign no. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering when this was going to come up. This is awesome. <laughs> it is totally awesome. It could almost be thrown into the unusual merchandise. Pokemon had a presidential candidate in Herman Kane, Godfather's Pizza Tycoon with his wacky 999 tax plan. You might remember him from the lineup of 2012 Republican candidates. He ended one debate by saying, quote, a poet once said, life can be a challenge. Life can seem impossible, but it's never easy when there's so much on the line. Well, that poet is Donna Summer in this song. And it didn't stop there. On the campaign trail, all of his stump speeches featured lyrics from the power of one. <laughs> I believe it was Rachel Maddow that first called this out. She was like, what are you doing? Why are you the Pokemon candidate? And Kane kept saying, no, I'm quoting music from the closing ceremonies of the 2000 Olympics. No, it's Pokemon 2000, Herman King. And only when he got caught, like his infidelities came to light, he had to drop out. Did he finally come clean? And in his farewell address to his fans he doubled down and said i believe these words came from the pokemon movie and then went and did two minutes of the damn song like he's like <laughs> i believe in this song whatever it came from this is my message all right i actually really didn't like this donna summer song but i was just 
too dazed, confused, and perhaps I was having an epileptic seizure from all the flashing on the screen. So the credits continued to unspool in front of my glazed eyes when all of a sudden Weird Al shows up with his Polkamon song. That, to me, is the best part of this whole movie. I knew you would love it. You're a Weird Al <laughs> fan. And yes, I guess he he did it for this film. Like, yeah. it wasn't just something they bought that he had done on an album. Like, he did Polkamon because he's a polka guy. I mean, he plays the accordion and that's his shtick. I mean, I have all of his albums and on every one he does a polka medley where he does all the hits of the day and he just does it in polka style and it's actually sometimes the best track on there versus his parodies about food and so yeah here this was on the soundtrack too just go get your pokemon song yeah herman kane loves it <laughs> he gives it a 999 it also seems to be hitting the target audience properly right i mean what kid in 2000 gives a crap about donna summer but weird al he's still relevant and might be something fun to have on your cd player but is this something fun to have on your dvr or in your dvd collection justin stewart do you choose recommend or not recommend justin ah <sighs> It's becoming more and more obvious that the things I think I want from Pokemon are probably just in the episodes that we're not reviewing. Because what I want is I want just quick half-hour adventures where we meet a couple new Pokemon, we find out what their powers are and why it would be cool to have them in your deck at home. But that's not what we're getting here. We're meeting new Pokemon, but the ones that we do know, we don't get to see them fight. And the ones that are fighting aren't really fighting. They're off in the distance shooting lightning at each other. I'm not learning anything about their powers or what makes them cool or what would make me want to have them in my collection. So basically, Pokemon is just the setting in this movie. There's really nothing super duper Pokemon about this. This could have been any movie with any style of animation and it wouldn't have changed anything. This one almost makes me want to go back and change the last review to a little bit more positive because this is a major step down from that last movie that I did not recommend. So I'm a little scared where the future is going to take us in this series because while the production value was up a little bit and it was a little easier to watch, it's not sucking me into this Pokemon lore at all. I just feel like they're saying, hey, you either love Pokemon and know it and you want to come along for whatever 75 minutes we've been able to string together here as a story. This is for you. Otherwise, see you next week, kids. So yeah, this one is a major step down and it, it actually makes me a little weary about going into next week. So this one's an even bigger disappointment and a bigger red arrow for me. Stuart, what's your haiku say? Mm, yeah, well, you know, I love it. It's going to be a recommend. Collecting is evil and will destroy Earth's balance. Ditto your wallet. I choose Godzilla when I want to see cities turned into ashes. I choose Donna to make laughter out of Cain in a pretty song. Does good really happen if bystanders do not see the power of one? A mild green arrow for those who fear Earth will drown in large bird droppings. I fear that in your haiku writing, you've given a green arrow to a film completely undeserving of such an award. I love it. It's all so <laughs> good. That's your shtick. Well, but... I like Godzilla movies, and I do think that and this, this is not Godzilla. It is not. I, the word mild was used. I said green arrows glow last week. Mild. I can give this a pass. I, it is a step down. I'm. We're all on the same page. This is much more of a muddle. It's not a great way to begin a millennium. But good. the good thing they have 19 more films to change my tune. <laughs> For me, this is what I expected. 
it's funny because it's like I came in and I expected this movie and it gave me something actually a little bit deeper with some spiritual themes and things that I think would really inspire younger people to think. The last movie. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'm like, not this one. No. no, I expected this. And then they impressed me with what the last movie had. Mm. And then I feel punked. Like, you expect that again? Fooled you. Here's exactly what you expect. It's like if I went to see Carrot Top. No. Oh, just let me go. Okay. Already I'm having a major revolt. If I go to see Carrot Top. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I expect prop humor. And he starts quoting Nietzsche. Yeah. But then he puts a pie in my face. Uh-huh. It's like... I knew I was in for a bad time, and then you made me think there was more to you than there was, Okay, and now I realize I just have pie in my face. Right. So it's a not recommend, and it makes me fear what the next three weeks have, but at least there's only three more. You know, we're, we're nearly halfway done already. I mean, there's four if you count the live action thing. The live action thing I would actually see with or without now playing. Mm. Ryan Reynolds' as Pikachu, count me in. It's this animated stuff that's truly... Now I don't know what to expect next week. It's like a game of Russian roulette. Am I going to get Mewtwo or am I going to get... 2000 and mess i don't know i mean i think maybe part of why i can be kinder is i've been saturating in the tv series you guys are seeing two lumps a week apart and i'm having to watch you know long runs of a show and so this one feels a little bit better than average hence the mild recommend but it is a step down from what we got and maybe i am expecting too little out of a pokemon movie maybe they should try for more maybe they will fix the balance when we get to Pokemon 3 next week. Meanwhile, if you want to watch something very different, why not the Man With No Name trilogy, which we're going to start as part of our Silver Level Spring Donation Series this Friday with a fistful of dollars. I can't imagine the person that loves both movies, but maybe that will light your fire if you didn't love Pokemon 2000. I guess it's you, because you green arrowed this, and I can't imagine. We haven't recorded it as of this. We haven't talked about it as of this. I can't imagine you've read Arrowing Man with no name. I'm not going to do that, no. <laughs> there you go. You're the person you can't imagine. I can't imagine people giving this movie a green arrow either. So, I mean, you know. But, yes, it is the start of our spring donation series, Fall We Hardly Knew Ye. Yeah, I mean, when does it end? <laughs> but... Our podcasts are like Pokemon. Gotta catch them all. And if you want to, you can. Silver Level is Man With No Name trilogy starting this Friday. And then Once Upon a Time in the West and Once Upon a Time in America. All Sergio Leone films. Most of them Western, spaghetti Westerns. And a gangster film at the end there. With big name stars. People that you know. Clint Eastwood, Robert De Niro. Charles Bronson's coming back to the podcast. Playing a harmonica. And then if you want even more, you can go gold for $25 or more. We're back at the $25 mark where you get seven 1989 summer films. All the one-offs that we've referenced time and time again, because we've reviewed so many movies from 1989 at this point, but some of them weren't franchises. So let us talk about When Harry Met Sally and Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Dead Poet Society, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, The Abyss. Do the right thing. 
It was all in one summer, and many of these films were seminal, would set the tone for so much of the films of the 90s and beyond. It's really incredible, a peak, really, in film summer movie going. And I think that it's fun to have the 30-year anniversary and reflect on all the different kinds, from family movies to action films, social dramas. They were all happening in that summer, and we're going to try to encapsulate it all including the action franchise of the summer, which will be our Platinum series. Lethal Weapon 2 came out in 1989. We're going to cover all four Lethal Weapon films if you can go above and beyond for Platinum donation. And then we've got two levels above that because we've got stuff coming back from the grave. Oh my God. What levels are those? If you want all the Child's Play reviews. Oh, yes. As Hey, Jack Chucky's back in theaters this summer. Never thought I'd see the day. God, there's going to be, what, eight Child's Play reviews? Because there were the five Mm -hmm. theatrical and then two direct-to-video and now theatrical again. Yes. And then, of course, yeah, the one I'm more excited about, Quentin Tarantino, his first film, Beyond the Weinsteins, should be really interesting. It's a treatise on old Hollywood. Flashback to the summer of 1969, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is coming back. That means we can open the vault and offer everything that we've covered Tarantino before. Exactly. So all the details are up now at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And of course, if you're a patron, $10 or more, you're going to get the Sergio Leone stuff. $25 or more, you're going to get Summer of 89. $50 or more, you get all of it. You get Tarantino, you get Child's Play, you get Lethal Weapon, you get everything we're doing this summer for the time of the donation drive. Plus, all the patron-exclusive podcasts, and coming up in just a few weeks for that, will be big. It's going to be a big show. (laughs) And so, thank you to all our donors and patrons. We appreciate you more than you know. We watch and play a lot of Pokemon because you guys support us. I don't think we would do this otherwise. No, I love you guys. I don't necessarily love Pokemon, but yes, you do inspire me to keep going. Yeah, come for the haikus and stay for the Nietzsche references. (laughs) Because every Pokemon fan loves them. (laughs) And Justin Stewart, thank you for joining me. I'm taking my Pokeballs and going home. Game over. Think we did the right thing? I know we did the right thing, Jesse. And it feels great. Well, this is it then. Let's not say goodbye. Let's just say... We're gonna die. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. A celebration of the harmony between humans and Pokemon. Come back to nowplayingpodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Thank you all for everything. Maybe I'll see you again. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Case closed, but still open until I solve it. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. I could use pants. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. 
Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. There's another credit on Pikachu's charge account. We've got to grab it. You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. Take the treasure and put it there. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. I haven't seen this many strange letters since the last time I placed a personal ad. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Yeah, you're right. I can do it. I'm the chosen one. Associate produced by Jason Latham. He's always the hero. We're always a zero. Now Playing is edited by Stephen, Heath, and Arnie. Humans may have created me, but they will never enslave me. This cannot be my destiny. Now playing credits read by Brock. Did you just understand me? Oh my god, you can understand me! Stop! I've been so lonely! The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. That's a twist. That's very twisty. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. He's saying you can shove it. What? I can shove it? Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Listen up. We got ways to make you talk. Or mine. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2019. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. I know you can't understand me, but I will electrocute you! But once a happy ending... Team Rocket is signing off again! Pokemon Gold and Silver for the Game Boy Color, which were coming out around this time, mm-hmm. were intended by Geek Tyrant, the game production company. Is that it? Geek no. Tyrant? It's Geek Freak, I think. No, it's not Geek Freak. Game Tyrant? Game Freak. Game Game Freak. <laughs> we would get there somewhere. Together. <laughs> we'll stumble down this road. We just are uncomfortable with kids playing with Nazis. They can play with Hydra. <laughs> Hold on. Banned Pokemon cards. Was the one with Mewtwo and the Hitler stash one of those? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> or Meowth. Yeah, it was Meowth. Ultra rare band head ringer training card 
Um, I don't know if it has a swastika, but it's a thousand dollars. Good for all your alt-right friends. <laughs> Ash is so excited to be the chosen one, he goes immediately. But he and his friends encounter Zapdos, who's come to Fire Island now that Moltres is gone. <laughs> I just... Fire Island is a popular gay resort <laughs> on the East Coast, so... You know, teach their own. That's cool. I support you. Pikachu tries to... <laughs> I, I knew Fire Island sounded familiar. Mm -hmm. I did not know that. Yeah, you can have a good time. I don't think I would, but... <laughs> they have Pokemon tournaments there. Yes, it's very big. Misty says, if you want someone to do whatever you want, whenever you want, you should get yourself a girlfriend. I'm like, that's not what girlfriends do. Maybe you should get yourself an escort. But as far as I know, girlfriends just don't go on your every women fancy. Yeah, I know. This is not uh, with current mindsets. We'll just leave it there. I asked Marjorie. I said, if I want someone to do whatever I want, whenever I want, is that what girlfriends do? She goes, yeah, but I'm your wife. I said, yeah, but if I got a girlfriend, are you saying that? He's not pitting his Pokemon against these legendary Pokemon. It's all for L Laguna. What's his name? It's all for Lu Lugia. What's the fuck? What? I went Lugia. Lugia. Lu Lugia. Yeah, okay. It's all for Lugia to do. 